Well, if you would, get your Bibles out with me and turn with me over to the book of of Romans and the uh, the fifth chapter. Romans chapter 5. And and I do ask that you get your Bible out and you turn there. Uh, It's Romans chapter 5. We're actually just going to be in the the first five verses of this chapter. Um, I mean, I'm going to reference some other passages and everything. You can turn there if you like. But uh, for the most part, this is where we are going to be. Um, So this is our outline. You can sit there and stare at these first five verses, and that is our outline for this evening. Uh, You know, it's always good as I I go through these things, and I'm going to share with you my thoughts. Um, that that you're also not just paying attention to me, but you're paying attention to the words uh, in your in your Bible, uh, so that uh, your you have your own thoughts, and so my thoughts can complement yours, and yours can complement mine, and that's really the way we ought to study our Bibles together. So please get your Bible out, turn to Romans chapter five, and we'll be looking at these first five verses. So. Begin reading there with me. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith. uh, Justification by faith um, has been Paul's main argument uh, up until this point in the book of Romans. um, that That we are saved by God's grace and it's only through our faith in Jesus Christ that we can be saved. And so he says here, therefore, since that's the case, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's there's three things here, three things that Paul has Uh, pointed out that are a direct result of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice there, he said, first of all, that we have peace. We have peace with God. He mentioned in verse 2 that we also, this faith that we have gives us access into grace. And then he said in verse 2, in the latter part of that verse, that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I've, uh, on Sunday mornings, I have been preaching sort of a a series of lessons on these three points uh, out of the book of uh, of this passage here. Last week, I dealt with that idea of having peace with God. Uh, And this week, I'm focusing on this concept of rejoicing, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And so uh, that's what I talked about this morning, and I want to share that with you uh, this evening, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. But before we get into that, I do want to share with you one thing. I'm not going to preach the whole sermon or anything that I preached last week when I talked about the peace of God, but uh, I do want to share one thing with you about this peace with God that I think is very Important. It's hard to just read these verses and pass over that and, and deal with uh, with something else in it without addressing this idea of peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples, uh, it's John chapter 14 and verse 27, and you can 
don't have to turn there. You'll be familiar with this when I start telling it to you. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He went on to say, it's not as the world gives do I give you. Jesus, Jesus gives us a, a different kind of peace than that which the world gives to us. And I point that out. I think it's very important because I think it throws a lot of people off sometimes. I think it throws us off a lot of times. People come to Jesus. They come looking for worldly peace, and they don't get it. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about, right? You listen to Christian radio. You listen to, listen to me talk enough. You'll just say, i got to have some of this, this Christian stuff. I mean, this is all about peace. I want some of that peace. And so they come looking for peace. And oftentimes we're looking for that same peace, and then we don't get peace. People say, you know, Jesus promised peace. Where is it? And they get frustrated, and they give up. Sometimes we get frustrated. We get close. To giving up. That's because we're looking for Jesus to fulfill this promise of peace in the wrong way. We're looking for him to fulfill it through worldly or earthly means. But, but Jesus' peace is not of this, this world. It's not as the world gives. The peace of Jesus is not waiting, or is not you waiting on God to improve your life. The peace of Jesus comes directly from Jesus himself. He is the peace. And actually, that's kind of what Paul says here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, that we get peace with God. And that's what true peace in Jesus is. It's peace with God. Not peace with the world, not peace in your life. Peace with God himself. Uh, and that's really, I kind of point that out mainly because it's important, but, but it's also... Paul says something very similar. If you didn't notice in this statement when he says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, if you didn't notice that, this hope that we have, this, that, uh, that we are rejoicing in, he says it's in the glory of God. And we're not going to deal a whole lot with that this, this evening, uh, but I think it kind of goes in tune with that concept of peace with God. Uh, if we're looking for peace on this earth, if we're looking for joy on this earth through Jesus, we are not going to find it. Peace is with God himself. Our hope is in God's glory. It is not in our glory. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's what we really want to talk about this evening. We think about rejoicing. Uh, even peace, peace, joy, all of those sorts of things, those are natural responses to this concept of justification by faith. Uh, after all, I mean, the gospel is good news, right? And when you hear good news, what do you do? You, you smile, you rejoice, you're happy to hear good news. So rejoice in the hope of the glory of God seems like a natural response. But the word here, rejoice, is actually a word that, it's a Greek word that, that really means to, to boast. In fact, to uh, uh, show you how this, uh, this word is, is often used, you think of uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 9, uh, where Paul says it's for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
concept of bragging that, that you have done something. Uh, that, that's the same word that Paul is using here when he says we rejoice, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Boasting is not a new issue in regard to the book of Romans. He had already addressed that back in Romans chapter 3 and verse 27. When he asked a question, he says, where is boasting then? He says, well, it's, it's excluded. Uh, boasting, bragging, gloating, those sorts of things, they have no place in the life of a Christian. Boasting about ourselves, boasting about our own accomplishments. That is faith, isn't it? If I boast about myself, I boast about how great I am, boast about my own accomplishments, oh, it's faith. Faith in myself, it's not faith in God. But boasting about God, boasting about his accomplishments, that's faith. And there is a place for that kind of boasting in the life of a Christian. In particular here, he says that we boast, we glory in the hope that God has accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. In hope of the glory that, that he gives to us, that he has accomplished. And I want us to think uh, for a moment about this idea of, of boasting. What does it look like? What does it look like to, to boast in hope of the glory of God? You ever been around a boastful person? Fun, right? They usually talk a lot, everything they've ever done and ever will do, and it's always the best. They always win at everything they tell you about. Um, but, but they tell you that kind of stuff, right? Whether you ask for it or not, no one ever goes up to these people and says, "Hey, you know, Johnny, can you? I'm kind of bored. Can you tell me how great you are? I, I really want to hear about how great you are." Nobody, nobody does that. They're always telling people. They tell you whether you want to hear it or not. Maybe on a bit more pleasant thought, uh, think about being around a, a brand new grandparent. You know who you are, huh? <laughs> Go on and on about those grandkids. Got the pictures, they got the stories. And they're going to tell you whether you want to hear it or not. Which, by the way, we want to hear it. We love to hear it. But that doesn't matter to them. They're going to tell you anyway, right? Because those kids mean everything to them. They mean the world to them, and they want to share with you the, the joy that those kids bring into their lives. And that's the way we ought to be about the hope of God. We're just going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it whether you ask us or not, whether you want us to or not. We shouldn't be waiting on others to ask us about the hope that is in us, and then we give a defense for it. No, they should be asking us because we're already talking about it. We're already boasting. We're already glorying and rejoicing about our hope. Every day, every day, we, we boast about things. 
Right? Maybe we talk about things that we're proud of. Maybe it's the grandkids or accomplishments or something like that. But, but most of the time, it's subtle. It's little things. I'll tell you something I boast about a lot. Well, we all boast about a lot. is food. Uh, we eat something good. We're going to tell somebody about it. In fact, that's how most restaurants get their business. It's from word of mouth. I eat it. It's good. I tell you, and you eat it. Um, we're going we're gonna to tell you where we got it and who made it and all those sorts of things. Something good happens at work. We don't just come home and not say anything about it. We, we share it. We tell about it. We're doing that sort of thing all of the time, boasting about all kinds of things. Things that make us happy, things that get us excited. And so you know the question I'm about to ask. I don't really even have to ask it, right? You know where I'm going with that line of thought. You boasted about a lot, you probably boasted about something today. Probably food. When's the last time? When is the last time that you have told someone about your hope. When's the last time you told somebody about the resurrection? When's the last time you told somebody about heaven, about salvation? There's, there's a book uh, got at the house. It was a Harold Hancock recommendation. Some of y'all might have it because of that. But it's called One Amazing Grain of Sand. Um, a little bitty tiny book. He talks about all these different aspects of eternity, which, I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? Our hope. <laughs> and he says, uh, excuse me, he says in that book, he says, I find it puzzling that eternity is not the most popular topic in coffee shops and break rooms around the globe. He said, we spend thousands of hours uh, talking about sports and politics and all kinds of trivial earthly things. He said that if we really believe in life after death, then the subject of eternity should be a, a national obsession. Everybody's talking about it. We'd be talking about it all of the time in our day-to-day -day interactions. But sadly, we, we rarely do. And I'll tell you what I, I believe is, is often the problem. It's not going to be the only problem, but often the problem is that the reason we are not boasting about the hope of the glory of God is because that's not really where our hope is. Our real hope is in all the other things that we're talking about. All the things of this life. The word hope here is defined as to anticipate, usually with pleasure, according to Strong's definition. And it is also defined as, as expectation or confidence. And so hope really is composed of, of those two uh, elements, the anticipation and expectation. And when I was originally Monday, when I, I sat down, I opened up Romans 5, and I said, right, you know, what am I going to put together this week? And I got to looking at hope and and thinking about hope, and I think for the first three days of this week, I, I really, I was planning on putting together uh, this lesson, uh, uh, talking about the, the confidence 
of hope, our surety of hope. It's a for sure thing that we have there. I was going to look at passages like 1 Peter chapter 1 when he says that our inheritance is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it is reserved in heaven for you. It's a sure thing. I mean, we got a solid hope that God has given to us. And that would have been a good lesson. And I still might do that lesson. But I'm not sure that expectation is the part of hope that we struggle with the most. We do struggle with it, but I don't know that that's what we struggle with the most. Expectation of heaven, expectation of a resurrection, confidence in that. I think uh, most of us are pretty sure of the existence of heaven. We're pretty sure of the existence of our hope. But the anticipation of that day, to be excited, excuse me, to be excited about that day, to look forward to that day, that's a different story. But what do the scriptures tell us? What kind of attitude do the scriptures say we ought to have about that day? Galatians 5, verse 5, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves, he says, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. 2 Peter 3, verse 12, talks about our waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says that our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven's supposed to be, should be where we really want to be. And that's the thing that Paul is getting at here in the book of Romans is that that hope is, is really not only just where we ought to be, it's really the only thing worth wanting to be. The only thing in life worth pursuing. I want, to, I want us to listen to what he says next in Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. He says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Did you hear it? I'll, I'll read it one more time. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. So we, we glory in tribulation. Right? We glory in tribulations because, oh, it produces all these good things in us. Perseverance, character. We, we grow in hard times is the idea. We become better people. James says something very similar in James chapter 1 when he says, to Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But did you notice Paul's real Point, or his ultimate point, what the end result of these tribulations was that he's glorying in. They produce more hope, he says. He's not saying that we glory in tribulations because we have hope. He's saying that we glory in tribulations because it produces hope. Like, that's how 
great hope is. That's how important hope is, that we want more of it. No matter what it takes to get it, Paul says, I just want more hope. I need hope. I thrive off of hope. And that's the thing that really stuck out to me in that, that in verse 3 and 4 this past week, that, man, do I really strive for hope? I mean, I, I mean, not strive for, but a desire hope in that way. There's two things I want us to, to appreciate about that. Uh, first of all, Paul is admitting here that, that hope is not something that's going to come naturally to us. He's talking about this. This is something that we have to work at. This is something that is produced in us. Um, he'll say in Romans chapter 15, later in the book here, Romans 15 and verse 13, he says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, abounding in hope, increasing in hope. Hope is uh, to have that kind of hope that Paul's talking about here, that we we glory in tribulations because it gives us more hope to to be at that level, uh, it's not something that's going to come natural. It's something we're going to have to grow and work at. I, I really thought a lot this past week about hope and, and that sort of level of hope like Paul is talking about, this, this need, this desire for hope. I spent a lot of time looking at the, at the clouds and, uh, and just looking at them and thinking, you know, you know what? I guess he's going to come back in the clouds. That's what the scriptures say. And I, I spent some time just, I mean, every time I was outside, I'd look at him and I would just imagine him coming back in those clouds. And I, I was evaluating myself like, do I really hope for that day? Like, am I looking at the clouds like, do it now, God, do it now? Right? Am I, I'm doing that. And I wasn't, right? I mean, Paul talks here about hope like it is the most important thing. He even says we love it. We love it when terrible things happen to us so that we can get more hope. Like this, this fuel that he has that feeds his spirituality or drives his spiritual life. As I thought about it this week, I'm like, I, I, I don't know that I have hope like that. We need hope like that. But this is something that grows in us. It produces in us over time. So if you're like me, okay, we're going to grow in that hope. We don't, we don't just have that hope overnight. And the second thing I want us to, to notice here is that if we want to do that, if we want to grow in hope, we want to have that kind of hope like Paul is talking about here, that hope is going to grow in tribulation. Hope is not going to grow in us if we are always getting everything that we want. If things are always going our way. I'm used to everything. Well, I'm not used to it, but I really like for everything to go my way. I spend much of my time fighting tribulations. The other night, we, uh, or I guess it wasn't the other night. Brooke says that I say, what, the other day is somewhere in between 
yesterday and five years ago. Uh, The other day, I I go out to to feed the dogs at 10 o'clock at night. Um, We won't get into why feeding the dogs at 10 o'clock at night, but I'm going to feed the dogs at 10 o'clock at night, and I'm already not real happy about that, and I open up the the bin where the dog food is, and no dog food. And so I was mad about that, and I stayed mad about that, right, all the way to Walmart and all the way back home, and then finally feed. We get cleaned up. I'm back in bed, and I'm happy again, right? The whole time during the tribulation, the whole time during the trouble, I'm not happy. I'm fighting it. Uh, same thing happened. Uh, car wouldn't start. This was like last week. Car wouldn't start. And uh, yeah, the, the whole time I'm working, I'm not happy until that problem is fixed. There's no joy. There's no rejoicing until my troubles are over. Paul paints a little bit different picture here for us. He says we need to to glory in those tribulations. James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. We do not learn. We do not grow. We're not going to gain the hope that we need. Things are always going our way. And and if when they don't, we just skip over this whole glory and tribulations part so that we can get back to the good part. Paul says, know you glory in that. Appreciate what that's doing within you. Modern day Christianity teaches us that Jesus is going to solve all of our problems. But true Christianity teaches us to embrace our problems. And finally, notice there Romans chapter 5. He says that this hope we have, this hope does not disappoint. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, he says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know, most of the things in this life that we, we boast about, they will disappoint us. I talked earlier about uh, boasting about food, right? We can boast about food. We can be excited about when we eat good food and and we can tell everybody about the good food we ate and we can go back and eat more of that good food. But what happens if we do that too often and too regular? Disappoint, doesn't it? All that good food wasn't all it's cracked up to be. And the things of this earth are full of those sorts of things. Short-lived, Shallow, empty promises. Young folks, high school, college age kids, listen up. You've got this great big life ahead of you. You've got all of these different paths that you can take, all these different dreams that you can pursue, careers, all of these sorts of things. And I promise you, it doesn't matter which one of those paths you choose to take. Because every single last one of them will disappoint you. The greatest dream in your life that you have that you pursue will not be all it's cracked up to be. And it will not be what you thought it was. It will disappoint you.
There's only one path to pursue in this life that will not disappoint. The hope, the glory of God will not disappoint. And Paul says here, it will not disappoint because God has proven it to us. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The promises that he has given to us have been verified. These promises are absolute. These aren't just ideas that are written down in a book. God's truth, God's promise of hope is verified. It was verified by the Holy Spirit. Through miracles, through signs, through wonders. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4, he says that God also bore witness by these things. He bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit that were distributed according to his will. There is no other path like this path worth hoping in. It's worth trusting in. No other idea, no other religion offers the kind of assurance that we are offered. Think of a Muhammad, the uh, founder of Islam, I guess you would call him. He had a revelation, so he said. Right? Joseph Smith, the Mormons, their guy, he, uh, he saw a vision. I actually don't doubt that Joseph Smith saw a vision. Probably hang around a teepee with a peace pipe. So lots of people see visions, right? But he says he saw a vision. Who was there to verify these things, to verify these revelations, to verify these visions? Nobody. What miracle did Muhammad perform? What miracle did Joseph Smith perform? None. But the gospel... The gospel was was demonstrated to us with thousands upon thousands of signs and miracles and wonders that were done in the sight of thousands upon thousands of people. Something that we can trust in. We can be assured of the hope that God has promised to us. I'm going to work on that hope thing this week. I hope you'll work on it as well. Try that. Look up at the clouds. Look at the sky. And think. I mean, do you really? I mean, that's what I want to. I think that's what Paul did. I think every day Paul probably got up and he looked up and he's like, you know, is it going to be now? I want that kind of hope. That's, That's what is supposed to feed us, what's supposed to drive us to do the things that we do. We can work on it. Paul says the best way you can work on it is uh, tribulation. Be careful what you desire, but it's worth it. Because there's nothing else in this life. No other pursuit in this life that will be worth, worth the comforts and the cares that they promise. The hope of the glory of God will be worth all of the tribulation, all of the anguish, all of the pain that we might have to endure. If you are not right with God this evening, and you do not have this hope, 
Don't stay in that condition. Find out what God wants you to do. If you need to ask someone here, we'd be, we would love to tell you. You already know what God wants you to do. Do it. Act upon it. Because you may look up into them clouds and he might actually be coming back. Hopefully you're ready when he does. If we can help you with that in any way, we stand here ready to do whatever we need for you. Pray with you. Baptize you. Whatever you need. All you have to do is come for our help as we all stand as we sing. Oh, Jesus.